0: Bringing to you the stories that have never been told, the news that has yet to unfold, and the voices you have not heard. This is the Caribbean Cannabis Channel, where we meditate and educate on all things ganja within the Caribbean region, with your host, Prophet Nati.
1: Bless greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Today we have a esteemed privilege, I would say, sitting with the boss himself, a man that has sort of started or carried on a legacy, I, I would say, rather in terms of cannabis within the region. And we're sitting in the well renowned Kyle Herb House, Kyle Herb House slash farmhouse, I, I would say as well. And we're sitting with the CEO, Mr. Mister Bali. So, Mr. Bali, how are you today?
0: Uh, very well. Nice to be here.
1: Before we actually started the podcast, we you kind of took me through a little tour of the facilities and the operations. And one thing I would say is that I was very impressed that you just, or the snap of a finger, like you knew everything that was happening and how it should happen. So from the perspective of a CEO, how how do you create that balance in terms of knowing everything that's happening with the operations and having trust in your team, and then also deciding to... One, stepping back at the first step, but also knowing when to take that foot forward and make sure that everything is happening as it should be happening.
0: Well, The tagline for Kaya has always been respect the roots. So we're currently sitting at the farm, and we were at the herb house earlier. But it's instrumental in terms of knowing every aspect from the farm because the basis of everything we do is when it comes from the farm. Um, in terms of genetics, what strains are coming down, the the communication between retail managers and the farm. Um, Also, what you haven't seen, which is closed um, right now, is the processing area where we're making all our extracts in terms of bubble hash, rosin, resin, ganjo oil, etc. So... The component of the vertical integration of the whole organization is key to understanding how each part works and how one part affects the other part. I obviously have had some knowledge in farming and stuff like that. Not every CEO is going to get inter, in, integral into every aspect, but it would be important to understand each aspect because it all comes down to math. If you're not doing enough cuts, you can't fill the greenhouse. If you're not doing a greenhouse, you can't harvest enough. If you don't have enough flour, then you don't have enough in the in the herb house, and then you're going to be running out. So it's a natural supply and demand in terms of having your systems run and run efficiently. Farming is not a normal process because in the Caribbean, obviously, we're going to utilize the sun. So by by counting on the sun, we just all went through, you know, Hurricane Ian. We had it passed by Jamaica, but it didn't, you know, it it... A tread disaster on North Florida. We didn't have that impact, but if you did not have your reserves, if you didn't have your veg plants backed up, if you weren't prepared for that, you're looking at a 90 day delay in any production that you could start back if you're not prepared. So you know, it's important just to be abreast of each, you know, each each component that makes up the system. And and just like in Saint Vincent, Jamaica has the same vertical. So we have R and D permit cultivation where we're sitting processing and retail in terms of dispensary or herbos. Herbos the difference is you can consume on premise. So, you know, we you know we on our group we have all licenses.
1: As you touched on the licenses, how have you gotten to the point of export license? Because I see that exports are happening in Jamaica, well, We've
0: so. we've had we've had draft regulations in place pre COVID. Um, all stakeholders met including the, the CLA with all the and the relevant stakeholders and, and the draft was put in place in terms of the regulations how it works on a case-by-case basis so we still follow all the regulations to conduct an export which Jamaica has conducted several exports Kaya conducted the first commercial export of seeds back in 2015 we did our first legal export of oil to Cayman in 2019. That's Cayman Islands. Cayman Islands. And in 2020, we did our first export to Australia from here. So we've conducted on our own three individual exports and have gone well. And the framework is in place, but it's on a case-by-case basis, which would start with a permit to import from the opposing country with a performer invoice. From that step, we can start a process here in Jamaica.
1: That's good vibes, man. That's good vibes. So in terms of Jamaica itself and Kaya, how how really and truly, how has Kaya came about? And how has Kaya integrated itself into Jamaican culture? What was the well, the, the experience with that?
0: Kaya is the original thing. You know, Kaya was the first. You know, we, we've been here from 2015 where we had the first R&D license where we could not sell and conduct research at University of Technology. Which we started growing 75 genetics on the three different conditions, indoor, outdoor, and in greenhouses. And we went from that stage to be into the regulated CLA, you know, regulated industry, which we got our first license and we conducted the first legal sale in the Caribbean yeah. on March 10, 2018. So, you know, nobody else followed behind us, you know, and opened the first door till about nine months after. And then a few, you know, others have opened the door after. And, and that'd be normal in competition. I mean, you know. You know, you have, you know, it's not only KFC, you have Island Grill, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you have to perform. So in terms of the performance of Kaya from 2015 to now, and in relation to the market share of, well, at least the illegal cannabis industry, what would you say is Kaya's percentage? I mean, we, we've
0: been the, we've been the leading from the outset. So for anybody to catch up in terms of the amount of product, I mean, to catch up to do over a billion dollar in Jamaican sales already, there's going to and a lot of dispensers would have to sell a lot of weed to get to that point. For, you know, for, we have the most amount of tripartures, one of my agreement, We've been in business the longest. We pay the most amount of taxes in terms of that, um, structure. We're the largest in terms of our broad breadth because Kaya is not just, as you see it here, we currently have three stores building the fourth store as we speak to be open. We have a, a, a franchise in Punta del Este in our, in, Uruguay, and we've opened four shopping shop experiences in California. So the Kaya brand, we've now taken it back into California, and just like that, we'll be taking our brand. So Kaya's footprint base and everything is out of Jamaica, and that's where our roots are, but as any other company, you have to expand, you have to start to get into it, and hopefully Kaya's will be a part of our GDP here in terms of our exports and stuff, becoming a you know a real number that people start to look at.
1: Well, actually, I was reading um, a couple articles, probably from the eighties, nineties, if I remember, where they were saying that ganja on the illegal side was actually what was fueling Jamaica's economy at, at that point.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think ganja has played a huge part in, in in the economy. I mean, you've seen, you know, we've seen movies, we've seen stories, we've witnessed it over the years, but. Obviously, Jamaica was a catalyst, you know, in terms of the 80s into Florida and into every, into Toronto, into Brooklyn, and in all other parts into Europe, where it was a big product. I mean, obviously, the South Americans came in with harder drugs in a smaller shipment worth eight times as much as it. And then, you know, the, the ganja trade fell off. But the ganja barons that were around in the 1980s fuel and still some of those strains are still around today that we, we grow. One of our original Jamaican purple skunks. Goes back at least 35, 40 years.
1: Okay, and the other strains that you all have. Uh, what are some of the other Jamaican strains that you all would have bred?
0: Well, some we worked with different breeders. Like we work with Cinquito to grow his Goldenback Gorilla, which is one of the most one of the most popular sativa strains. And we have, you know, we we have um, Rankin Kush, you have Island Girl, you have Purple Stingaling, Manganani,
1: some of the favorites. <laughs> Manganani, yeah, very Jamaican name. So, uh, and getting those those strains, what was the process process of acquiring those strains seen as how it was naturally from Jamaica and the plant was illegal um, previously? Well,
0: it was a two-part process. One, if you stay close to farmers over the years and you understand about genetics, if you go to a field in, in Negril, Orange Hill, which is the Mecca of marijuana, And you see a field of 10,000 trees. A lot of the people didn't have the luxury in terms of going through looking and hunting in terms of saying, I like that plant, I'm going to take dig that plant back out and and veg it back to keep that flower alive. So when we had our research and development, it was even interesting to see some of the farmers bring in their genetics and say, look, we want to keep this alive because we don't have lights, we don't have the capability and the stuff of cloning. This wasn't a normal process. The normal process in terms of Jamaica was growing seeds, and it's an easier process from seed, you know, to final product. But to maintain genetics, you know, as you can see, we're maintaining forty-five different mothers, forty-five different genetics that have been stabilized over the years, and these have either come by working with with breeders, or if we breed, then we're then we're working on different strains of ourselves that we have that are you know especially you know like that we have in our own stable.
1: Okay, great. Well, I, I love that y'all. Well, at least the farmers, we were coming to you, but as well as you were going to the farmers. But what's the real difficulty in getting the local farmers actually integrated to this quote unquote legal side? Uh, Not just from the price standpoint, but from a more holistic overview.
0: I mean, it's a regulated industry, similar to a gaming industry, which is very difficult. I mean, from police licenses, um, background checks, and the amount of I wouldn't call it red tape. It's just regulations in terms of it is expensive if you have to have 75 cameras around us right now. If you have to have a uh, a chain link fence with barbed wire, run with perimeter fences around a five-acre lot is expensive. If you have to have a 24-arm guard security is expensive. If you have to run at, you know, JPS and you're running at 45 cents a kilowatt, these things add up for any normal farm and one of the traditional farmers might not own their land. You cannot get a license if you don't either have a lease own the land or have your property taxes up to date. And a lot of the people just don't have the basic you know, compliance to get even um, certified or get accepted. So the amount to get into the game to make back that money, some people might just think it's not worth the time at the moment or it's just too difficult to come in. But... Several people over the years have come in and, and, have, and have paid their share. But it, it's going to take time, just like it was taking time to become not easier, but that we understand the mechanics of the stakeholders of what makes sense in terms for us to make money. Like the question maybe that you probably ask is, what is missing? If you ask me what's missing, you have to look at the overall industry. Outside of exports, which everybody was excited about, what element is left in Jamaica? Outside of creating patents and formulations and stuff where there's real value that could be sold, you have to look that Jamaica does not have edibles legal right now. And in most states across the U.S., that's more than 40 to 50% of the revenue because not everybody, smoking is an old-school tradition. You know, I enjoy smoking and stuff like that, but, I, you know, I don't, I don't mind a dab. I don't mind a vape and each, each thing for its time. But if we don't have the elements in terms of it, and, and you have your grandmother that does not want to take up a spliff, but she, she's been diagnosed with cancer, wouldn't you want to be able to give her something that she could eat or something that she could be? So we have to look at the elements, and I think that's one of the elements Jamaica needs to get done. Is just kind of finish the, the circle of where we can capitalize on this market.
1: I love that you followed up with with a solution because I was actually coming to to follow up on that and ask, like, what is actually missing in the industry or what probably needs to be taken away? Is all of the regulations actually necessary from your viewpoint?
0: Uh, it's, It's not for me to say if they're necessary or unnecessary. Any rules that's given to me, I just follow. Right. But I, you know, I would debate if it doesn't make sense, you know, like and stuff like that. And we've gone over, you know, we've, you know, we've already been regulated for over five years. So obviously things have changed in terms of the bets and not, and they're continuing to change. And some are getting easier at a certain part in time to sell ganja from one licensee to another licensee. You had to do something called a tripartite agreement. A tripartite agreement is how much you're going to buy, how much you're going to sell, what the price and what, uh, and how long this contract is pre COVID. We had to sign on a legal sheet, send it back to the other person for them to sign, then send it to the Cannabis License Authority for them them and their chairperson to sign. Then we get it back to start the process. And we might not even do business. We're just starting the process to have the framework in. again. You know, we have to have over 35 of those in place. And if one license expires... You have to renew every single one with every party you are doing business with every year for most licenses outside of the ones that you can do for three years. So, so it's a lot of red terms in keeping that. Every week you have to send the amount of sales and stuff that you do on a weekly basis. You have to do a head count of how many barcodes are on it. So if they do a side count and they count and they say you have 25,000 plans, you know, in different forms and stages, you have to be able to count out those 25,000 plans. This is a lot of red tape and stuff like that, but part of it and we have systems in place, but not everybody can manage the paperwork and stuff like that outside of the farm work because the farm work alone is difficult, much less the processing or the selling of the herb.
1: Yeah, you you kind of compacted everything as best as you could because I I, I visited uh, another facility recently as well, Chicana, and they were same same thing explaining the level of regulations it had at the beginning, just to move like at, from different points of your facility to the next so. It's very interesting hearing um, that all of the legal gymnastics, so to speak, that everyone has to go through when you actually switch over to the legal industry. Because, again, I think it's important that you shed light on that, as a lot of persons, especially those who may not be that versed or knowledgeable about what's happening, kind of simplify it to just the farming aspect. And from farming, it should just be sealed. But uh, there are a lot of operations happening in between, to one make sure that you are protecting your employees as well as you are pro- providing a quality product to, to the consumer. And what are some of the things that you would advise persons who may be looking to enter the industry in whatever aspect of actually within a facility? What are some of the things you would tell them to prepare themselves for?
0: Well, It's always, it's always better to prepare for the worst you know, and hope for the best. right? So anybody that's going to get into it Ideally, if they could visit a facility, see what they're getting to, and really get into that, this is not a quick, quick rich get scheme. You know, like this is, this, there's a lot of work and you have to decide what type of work. Not everybody is the best at everything. So what you're seeing is a well run company in terms of having a vertically integrated system. But if somebody was the best at making candy, I would rather partner with my extracts, with the candy maker, and make a joint product of our infused candy. They don't have to be the the best maker and grower of ganja to make the best infused candy, right? For somebody to make an infused tea, they could have a variety of teas. I'm not growing tea here. I'm growing herb. But if I had to make it and they had the formulations and we have the trims and we're going to do, we could do 45 different herb teas from here. That all have a different feeling, just like the Sativa Indica and hybrids and the CBDs that we have. And you could have the same thing. So, what I would tell anybody to do is go into the field that they're the best at, the one that they enjoy the most, and they're going to spend seven days a week doing. Because it doesn't make sense saying, oh, I can do all, because it is quite cash intensive in terms of running all divisions and running all divisions well. So, some people think you have to do all, but you could work with a farmer, you could work with a processor if you're a good seller. If you're not a good seller, it's better you grow. So I think at the age of if I was going into it, I would tell anybody, make sure they do their homework like they're doing any other business. Make sure they have the capital to run six months to a year ahead of it with no revenues and make sure that they're able to withhold anything that could happen in terms of regulations and that they're ready that it is going to be harder at the beginning, especially in a new region or country or state.
1: Uh, well, what I want to do right now is sort of tap into your mindset as, as I see you a bit because... You're not just carrying knowledge about the industry, but as you said, you're taking other aspects of it and sort of integrating it into the cannabis industry. And you have a wealth of business acumen from just the, from what you are saying. How, how does one become CEO of a cannabis company? Like what's, what steps in life you have taken to actually say, decide, you know what? Running a cannabis company, it's not so, so bad of an idea. So how do you reach, reach there?
0: Look, I think, I think, I think titles are overstated. I mean, to tell you the truth, you know, I've, I've, I've gone from, you know, from bank into coffee to, um, to TV, you know, you know, into marijuana. And, you know, all of these titles, I mean, if you have to register a company and go set up, they're going to ask you who is the director and who's the secretary. Those are two real official titles across the board that you're going to ever have. Every other title, you know, outside of being hierarchy and stuff like that, which you need in an organization has been put to place, but it's not official in any, in any, in any official capacity. I mean, my, my title is actually CGO, not CEO. CGO. Yeah, Chief Ganja Officer.
1: (laughs) That's a good, that's a better title than CEO. Yeah, Yeah, that's a better title. No,
0: but I mean, to, to get to that position, first of all, you, you can't run an organization unless you know all the departments inside out. So, you know, if you're in you know, a, if your family didn't train you the right way and if you didn't have the luxury of going into a business starting from the bottom up, you know, I think that's where you start, you know, make sure you, you know, from the janitorial, from the toys, from the bathrooms, from every aspect, from the clones, you know, to the veg, to the flow, to the trim, to the harvesting, to the processing, to the actual sales, to the pre roll to the ounces and everything else that you're going to have to do, make sure that you understand each component and every aspect of the business if you want to run a multifaceted business. If not... Stick to the field, stick to the area that you're good at, and just continue to, you know, to improve on that efficiency. You can only get better.
1: You're the second person I've heard we sometimes make mention of titles are overrated, and persons sort of get hung up on the title and focus on that rather than just having the skill or the knowledge to actually carry out the task. Because again, your title could switch, but your knowledge and the skill would remain. So, it's solid advice. But as persons coming coming up. Really, truly we don't hear that saying that as somebody who just graduated out of university, um, I will have the understanding, but a lot of persons really, actually, they, they're just looking for it. So at what point do you, you wish to just have this, this calmness to, to what you are doing?
0: I think I think the calmness comes from experience, you know, being confident in what you're doing, you know. There's no aspect of the business we could walk into right now that you're like, look, what's happening here, what's not there. I'm sure from everything that you've seen today, you've seen quality, you've seen efficiency, you've seen every department run pretty well, and uh, you know from your own purchases, your own sales, and from you going through the businesses on your own. I mean, you tell me what you've seen. I mean, the, the idea is to be confident and making sure that your businesses run well. If you if it's not running well and you're into chaos and stuff like that, I'm sure you'd see it on anybody else, and they wouldn't have the calamity on them.
1: That's true. It comes from the experience and making sure that you're efficient and productive with what you're doing. So in terms of experiences from since starting, like what's what's probably one of the greatest days you have had and probably one of the most difficult days?
0: I think the greatest day was March 10, 2018, when we had the first legal sale in the Caribbean. I think that's a monumental day when you saw lines of over 2,000 people lining up. When you saw an old lady waiting to see the doctor and crying when she bought her first legal spliff, Um, hearing the stories from people that have flown planes, smuggled, and being able to walk into a store and buy legal herb and smoke it there without, you know, like seeing it, I mean, it's just an, you know, is a overwhelming feeling that, you know, for us, you know, the U.S. might have 420 or something like that, but for us, the first legal day we didn't, was... When we could sell the first legal split, and that's when we grew the first legal herb from the farm to sell to the store to be able to sell to a patient, it was definitely the most monumental day in the history of cryo. The worst day, I think, you know, counting a worse, you know, I do, we haven't really had a worse day. I would say a collective of of, of bad days is. I we've never ever closed the door at Cairo. 365 days a year. Once we got our license, we kept the store 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every single day, including Christmas. When COVID hit, we had to hit, we closed seven days over the two and a half year period. Only when it was a mandate, when even gas stations and and every other office was closed. Outside of that, we kept open. That would be a sad day that we we don't have the opportunity because I think it's a it's a blessed opportunity that we have that we can actually. Then I can even be and we can be part of it of actually being able to buy herb legally every day. And that's a good feeling.
1: Yeah, I remember my first time in Jamaica a couple of years ago. Coming from a place where it's it's so many eyes on you and people are preoing you. And to be able to just see people walking walking with their spliff comfortably or they had the branches, it was it was a big culture shock. I was actually, I was like, wow, I was kind of nervous at first as well smoking because I was saying like, I wonder who's watching me, what will happen. But that day is history and itself being able to actually purchase soup legally and don't have to worry about anybody coming at you. Yeah,
0: I, I think for me, I had a similar situation when it was in the early days, maybe in the first two weeks of being open. And we were under such scrutiny because although it happened and stuff, nobody was ready for it. Because, I mean, the regulations are in place, everything is done, we did everything by the book and it was done well. But Ministry of Health, Ministry of Labor, everybody was just getting their hand of it and just seeing so many different visits. You know, over the first year from every different department, from em- embassies, just, everybody just wanted to see what this thing is and what it is. And you know, once they they climatize and realize this is this is quite normal. This is you know, if you've gone to a place, it's not like a weedy, weedy place with weed signs or weed people all over. You know, it's educational. Each of our walls, you know, like you know, if you saw Inoche have live display walls, educational and stuff like that. Part of it, we don't. You know, we're not putting cheesy weed posters and stuff like that all over the. You know, it's it's not runner. It's a it's a retail medical marijuana complex. You have a coffee shop, you have a pizzeria, you know, you have the square group but you have you have a consumption lounge and you have, you know, you have your the whole herb house kind of blends in. The typical spend when I had my dispensary in Colorado, people spent about ninety seconds in there. We didn't really need them in there longer. You came in, you bought and you left. Great. In Jamaica, our typical spend, you know, per person is about hour and a half to three hours. Yeah. People stay or they come three, four times for the day and you know that's a much more interesting, you know, um complex than we had there, but just because we have more going on.
1: I really want to, I could stay here talking with you holy because I'm sure there's so many you could actually teach, not just myself, but the listeners of course, but obviously we we are always pressed for time with things that we're doing. So in terms of closing, well, I want to find out when you are not being a CEO of a global cannabis company, what do you do in your spare time?
0: Oh, I mean, you know, family is first, right? So looking after the families is obviously an important thing in serving on the different boards and charities and stuff that we do and spending time like that, creating the balances, you know, where I spend my time.
1: All right, that's, that's as simple and as best as you can spend your time really and truly because at the end of the day, when we are doing everything, it's really to support our family. So if you do it and you're not with your family, it's sort of defeating the whole whole purpose. So before we close there, is is there anything you would like to leave with the listeners that you may not have um, made, made mention of before?
0: I think an important thing for all the listeners and all the people that are stewards in this industry or want to be a part of this industry or will be a part of this industry. I think everybody needs to be on the same page. This is, this should be something that should be normal to all of us that we could all get along. And anybody, anywhere that hasn't decriminalized needs to decriminalize and all the work needs to be done. And wherever is decriminalized needs to legalize. Jamaica decriminalized in 2015. And, and we've had a regulator say it's time we legalize and take the last part of the stigma because if that will take it and we, we have that type, that changes banking, insurance, what you can do, type of investors that you can raise. And it can't be a dangerous drug. We've been trying to rename the Dangerous Drug Act to the Ganja Act. Mm-hmm. That's like something we want to see as a physical change because we don't see it as a dangerous drug.
1: It's a, it's a, and it's a mental shift as well because it will start to take away the sting, stigma that people have that it's a dangerous drug that is... So people, again, we definitely would be hooking up with Kai at some point in time again, from probably a different angle, better partnership, greater conversations. So we'll be leaving you all here with this conversation. It's the Caribbean Cannabis Channel sitting here with the CEO or CGO, the Chief Ganja Officer, Mr. Bali.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Be sure to like and subscribe.
0: You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook so you don't miss out on any of the exciting news happening across the region. Until next time,
1: remember to meditate and educate.